Take your Bibles out this morning, if you would please, and find 1 Samuel in your Old Testament. 1 Samuel. And let me add to Pastor Kevin's words a moment ago in saying Happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers. And we do want to honor you today. I trust that today is not the only day we honor you, but each day of your lives that you would know of our love and prayers for you. And how much we appreciate your sacrifices. This morning, I want us to talk about the subject matter from grief to glory. From grief to glory. One mother's journey of faith and prayer. 1 Samuel chapter 1. And this morning, I'll be reading actually from the NIV instead of the ESV. But uh, you take your copy of the scripture and stand with me for the reading of God's word. And let's read all of the chapter. 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we'll begin in verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. And I think you will see the progress here indeed is from grief to glory. There was a certain man... From Ramathaim, a Zuphite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. See, just think, parents, those could be some of the names you give your children today. <laughs> he had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. 
Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something. And her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord. And then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go up. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you've weaned him, only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she'd weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I'm the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child. And the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Father, this is your word. And we pray that even as Jesus said to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. What the Lord says to his church. God open our ears this morning. Open our hearts and minds. To your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify us. With your truth. God we do thank you for our mothers. For their deep love and sacrifice. And we do ask that they would know. That our desire is to honor them. And we do so today. We ask your richest blessings upon them. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last year we finished studying through the book of Judges on Wednesday nights. And as we did that particular study, we saw that it is a sordid tale of adultery and prostitution and murder and conspiracy and idolatry. Instead of being a part of Israel's history, you would almost think Hollywood is writing some kind of X-rated movie to show. Even the priesthood. As we see from the initial part of 1 Samuel, became corrupt. 
under Eli's sons. Over and over again, we saw as we went through the book of Judges, everyone did as he saw right in his own eyes. There was no king in Israel, no authority, and everyone just lived however they wanted to live. Well, you read through the book of Judges, and quite frankly, if you didn't know the rest of the story, you would wonder how it all ends, wouldn't you? How is a sordid tale of such messed up things, how is it going to end? Well, folks, this morning we're going to see the answer to that. Immediately following the time of the judges, God raises up a prophet who himself serves as a type of judge also. His name is Samuel. With Samuel, we are told the word of the Lord once again came to Israel. It's as though God has been silent for much of the time that all this corruption was going on. Sin had hindered the people from hearing the word of God. But with the birth of Samuel, the people once again started hearing from the Lord. Amen? Must have been awesome. So Samuel was a judge, also a prophet. He's, he was also known as Israel's kingmaker. Israel asked for a king. God was going to answer that prayer and give them a king. Now the earthly king was supposed to be a deputy of God himself, the true king. Oftentimes we saw that it was a case of anything but that. God used the prophet Samuel to anoint the first two kings. He anointed Saul as the first king. And Saul was the people's choice. Stood a head taller than everybody else. Tall, dark, and handsome, as people say. That was Saul, the people's choice. And what a miserable failure he was. And then Samuel anointed David as Israel's second king. David was God's choice. Now I tell you all of this for a reason, folks. For our purposes today, I want you to see what sort of got the ball rolling, so to speak, on this revival that occurred under Samuel. It, it wasn't just another battle where Israel defeated her enemies. It was a woman, a woman who desired nothing more in life to, than to be a mother of a son who would turn the nation around. And so it wasn't an army, it was a mother. A new, more blessed chapter was about to begin in Israel's history. And it began in a mother's heart. Mothers make our lives the richer and the nation better. Abraham Lincoln once said, No one who grows up with a loving mother can ever say that they were raised in poverty. Isn't that a great statement? Nobody who has ever been raised by a loving mother can say that they were raised in poverty. 
But not just biblically, but socially. I want you to think about the role of women and mothers in society. Did, did you realize that in social studies and experiments, they have found that women have a calming effect on men and on families and on society. Where there's an absence of women, men tend to live more like a pack of animals. They don't eat well. They don't clean up after themselves. They get together and they fight and drink and carouse. Women help bring a sense of of order and stability to a family and a nation. And so we have a day like Mother's Day to celebrate what mothers have done for us. And in a sense, corporately, what they do for all of us. This morning I want us to look at the tremendous value of one mother in the Old Testament. She influenced her family, her son, and even a nation. She's an example to us of the extent of a mother's influence and the difference that even one person can make. Now folks, as we look at her life, we see that her journey was one that began in, in, in pain, in grief, in desperation. What did she do with that pain and grief and desperation? She took it to the Lord in prayer. And when God intervened on her behalf, she committed her son to the Lord. She trained him up in the Lord and she, she committed him to the Lord's service. And she, through her son, helped to impact a nation. And so again, what we see is the influence that a godly mother can make. I want you to see, first of all with me today, a woman exposed to trials in tribulation a woman exposed to trials and tribulation look again at verse 2 it says he had two wives one was called Hannah and the other Penina Penina had children but Hannah had none now I want you to notice what humble beginnings we're gonna learn here about Samuel who is to be born son look at how his father is introduced here's a godly family they're certainly not perfect There's polygamy in the home. Now, it's believed that the reason for this uh, polygamy is that Hannah was barren. And so in the culture of the time, when a woman was barren, often there would come into the home a second wife who could bear children for the family name to continue. Now, was that God's original plan? No. You know, in this day in which we live today, people will say that Jesus never spoke on these issues of marriage and family. Well, yes, he did. When asked about marriage in Matthew 19, what did he do? He carried his audience back to God's original blueprint in Genesis 2. And he reminded his listeners that marriage is to be between one man... And one woman. And so, yes, Jesus did address this issue. But there's another problem. When people say Jesus didn't address something that is addressed in some other part of the Bible, they're revealing a very sad view of Scripture. We believe in the inspiration of Scripture and the unity of the Bible. And so when Moses speaks, God speaks. When Isaiah speaks, God speaks. When Paul speaks, God speaks. 
And we certainly don't say, well, Moses was more inspired than Joshua and Isaiah was even more inspired than uh, Jeremiah and Paul was more inspired than John and so forth and so on. We don't say that because when one part of the Bible speaks, God speaks. Which means even if Jesus didn't address something in the Gospels but it's found elsewhere in the pages of Scripture, it's still God speaking. It's His His inspired Word. And yes, God said one, one man, one woman. And so what we read here is not God's original plan. Now with that said, let me say though that in Old Testament times, even under the law, polygamy was allowed under certain circumstances. And even encouraged under certain circumstances, one in particular. And here's what I mean by that. For example, even if a man was married and his brother died, leaving a widow without children, he was to marry the widow and the firstborn son that she bore would be considered the child of the deceased to carry on his name. Leveret marriage is what it was called. And according to Deuteronomy 25, if the brother would not agree to marry the widow, she was to go to the elders, they would speak with him. If he was still in disagreement, she would come into their presence, take off one of his sandals off of his foot, spit in his face, and then utter what would have been a curse on him and his household. The curse meaning that he would have a bad name and a bad reputation in the community Because he would not raise up a son for his brother. And so while it's not the normal plan that we see in Genesis 2. There were circumstances it was allowed. That polygamy was allowed and encouraged uh, with community shame on you if you didn't. Now at other times if a couple didn't bear children. It was often seen that the woman must be the one who is barren, which of course we know is not always the case. But the husband would take another wife to raise up sons. Sometimes the woman, as in the case of Sarah with Abraham, would actually give another woman to her husband to raise up sons to carry on the family name and legacy. Is that what happened here? Was Elkanah married to Hannah first? Hannah couldn't bear children, and so that's why Penina was brought into the picture? Maybe so. To the ancient Hebrew women, they associated barrenness as being an indication that you had done something whereby God was withholding His blessings from your life. And we see that Penina started provoking Hannah because... She couldn't get pregnant. Ladies, could you imagine that? Having a rival that was always sticking this in your face and provoking you. How awful. In this case, since Elkanah had children with Penina, obviously Hannah was seen as the one who was barren in this couple. And Penina must have loved to have rubbed this into Hannah every chance she got. Now, don't you know that had to make for some interesting family dynamics. But folks, while we don't see a perfect family here, we do see a godly family. 
Parents, you don't have to have wealth and power and prestige to raise kids that will impact the world. Amen? Here's a simple, humble family. Hannah is a woman of devotion to the Lord, and she's a woman of faith and prayer and dedication. But again, she would have probably viewed herself in some way at least as having been judged by God because she couldn't have children. She probably even viewed herself being less of a woman because of this. But hang on, because she's going to get the last laugh. Her son's going to become a a judge and a prophet in, in a nation who will lead the nation and anoint the first two kings. Ladies, this is an indication that we need to persevere in our present trials, whatever trials we might be going through, because God may have something far better waiting on you. So hang in there. Know this. Know that the troubles that you are going through today don't have the last say. Moms, do you have an unbelieving child? Do you have a wayward child? Do you have a child that's breaking your heart? Hang on. Don't give up. You never know what God might end up doing in the heart and the life of that child. Don't judge tomorrow by what that child is doing today. Keep praying that God will radically change them and and do something that can only be explained as a work of His sovereign grace. Because we know God can do it. On top of her barrenness, as we've already pointed out, complicating Hannah's barrenness is her rival, Penina. Penina, here she is taunting and teasing Hannah. You know, it can be sad the way people treat other people at times, can it? And oftentimes, what is it? A spirit of jealousy or competition. She must have known how much Elkanah loved Hannah. And so she's just looking for something that she can rub in the face of Hannah. Penina should have realized that she only had what she had in life because of God. What's James 1.18 say? James 1.18 says, Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. Folks, if there's any good in your life, any provision in your life, guess who brought that into your life? It's God. Penina should have recognized that and been grateful to God for what God had given her and to pray for Hannah. Notice how Hannah's problem affected her. The end of verse 7 says that she would end up weeping and have no appetite. That's how severe her sorrow was. Ladies, what a sad scenario this is. Going to the temple, of course the temple at this point was just the, the temporary structure, the tabernacle. She would go there to make sacrifice, to worship each year. It was supposed to be a time of celebration. And in Israel, they had these festivals. They had these special days. They would would go up to the tabernacle or the temple together. They would celebrate together. It was a happy time, a joyous time, as they recognized what God had done in their nation's history. 
They would offer their sacrifices to God in honor of his forgiveness, his blessings on them. They, they celebrated how God had delivered them from bondage out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land. These were great times. But I want you to remember something. Great times are not always great times for everybody. While some celebrate, others find difficulty celebrating. I think Mother's Day is a perfect example of this. Some of you this morning have been unable to be mothers. And you understand Hannah's heartbreak. You have hoped and you have prayed and you've waited. But so far God hasn't answered those prayers the way you would want him to. It's the desire of your heart. It just hasn't materialized. Some of you have gone through very painful miscarriages. And you see these other families like these this morning down here with, with young kids and taking part in a parent-child dedication. And it's very painful for you. And while you don't have somebody like Penina teasing you over it, you may have somebody like Elkanah. Look at what Elkanah says in, in verse 8. Look what he says. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Ten being the number of completion. Hannah, you got, you've got me. I'm better to you than sons. I mean, there may... He's, he's making a valid point. It's not what she needs to hear. He means well, but it's not what she needs to hear. You know, some people, what I'm trying to say, some people, even maybe somebody closest to you, may not understand your heartache. They mean well. They say things in an attempt to help, but oftentimes maybe their words only cut deeper and hurt more. I'll never forget a saga that Connie and I went through 18 years ago. At 39 and 40 years of age, all of a sudden, we found out Connie was expecting. At first, she was devastated. That's the last thing she wanted. And then, after a couple of days or a week, that devastation was followed by incredible joy and excitement and of course at that age they're doing ultrasounds all the time and then one ultrasound seemed to indicate that it was it was over and then there was deep grief and heartbreak and they said if your body doesn't deal with this we'll have to do a procedure they scheduled another scan and you always know something's going on when they schedule a scan and the technician is doing something. They kind of stop and call in somebody else and maybe a doctor and they're looking and looking. And, and they said, not only is your baby okay, but both of them are okay. <laughs> I mean, we were shocked. Twins. I mean, the roller coaster, you're having a baby. And at that age, you have to warm up to that idea. And then that you've... Told you lost that baby. Now you're told it's okay and they're going to have twins. 
And then there was a miscarriage indeed. And here again, heartbreak. And then an older lady that we think the world of said, good, the last thing you need is children at age 40. Well, that wasn't what Connie needed to hear. But again, knowing this person, she meant well. A sweetheart of a lady. My point is, like Elk and I, sometimes people say things, they, they, they mean well, they just don't know what to say, and they end up saying the wrong thing. That's what Elkanah does here. If you find yourself this morning in Hannah's shoes, I want to encourage you about something this morning, though. And I don't know if this will help. Hopefully it will. And, and over time, the truth of God's Word will, will sink in. Hannah felt less of a woman, less of a person because of her bareness. But, but folks, I want to tell you, our worth comes from being created in the image of God. Genesis 1. Let us make man in our image. And so God created man, male and female, in his image. Ladies, that's where your value, that's where your dignity and your worth comes from. When you're going through times in your life when you're struggling and maybe you're going through something and you question who you are, do you really have value? Do you really have worth? Yes, you do because you've been made in the image of God. And not only that, but if you're a believer in Christ, you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That's where you get your dignity and value and worth from. Our looks, our wealth, our position in life doesn't determine who we are as far as our intrinsic value. Hannah, no doubt, needed that lesson. And I also want you to see something else here. There was a purpose in the delay. God had his reasons for withholding a child from Hannah. You can see the hand of God in delaying Hannah's childbearing years. Because through this delay, God was doing a work in her heart too. She ends up making a commitment that was a blessing to her nation for centuries. You see, had Hannah probably just in the normal course of things started having kids, I don't know that she would have even connected these dots the same way and ended up dedicating them to the Lord the way she the way she did. And so God had a pro, uh, purpose in this problem that was greater than anything Hannah could have seen at the moment. Sometimes people approach me and they ask the reason for delays over certain things that they're asking God for. And I, I've been asked before, why is God angry at, at me? Why is he punishing me? What's he punishing me for? And when I... When I'm approached, people say things like that to me. I might respond by saying one of two things. First of all, if you think God is disciplining you because of some sin, then I have a feeling you probably know what that sin is. Deal with it. Get right before God. Take that off the table. But as far as you know, if you're clean before God and, and you don't know of anything like that, 
then you need to ask God, what are, what are you trying to do with this delay, this wait? You've got a bigger purpose here. And help me to be patient and see what that is. That delay is an invitation to search out the mind and heart of God and see what he might be trying to tell you. Because he might be trying to tell you or show you something even bigger in the long run. Problems are an invitation to grow in intimacy with God and in his word. And that's exactly what Hannah does. Secondly, I want you to see a woman offering prayer and devotion. Hannah was a very wise and a mature lady. She took her problem to God. Hannah stands in stark contrast to one of the judges that when we were going through judges, the book of Judges, we looked at. Deborah. Deborah, you'll remember, was a, a military leader. She was a judge. She was a powerful woman. She was a gifted woman. Now, by way of contrast, Hannah was a simple, humble woman. But do you realize that Hannah affected the life of her nation far more than Deborah ever did? Through her prayer, she moved the hand of God. God gave her a son who began calling the nation back out of darkness that was existing during the period of the judges. And it began with prayer here. Here was a woman who was the least of the least, but she was a mighty woman of prayer. She took her problem to God. She poured out her heart to God. I'm reminded of what Jesus said in Luke 11. He said, And I say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it shall be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by a son for a fish. He'll not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he'll not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, sometimes the child we do not have motivates us to prayer. But sometimes the children we do have motivate us to prayer. Can I get a witness to that? I've talked to plenty of families in the church who would say their children are the ones who keep them on their knees praying the most. We've all been there. I want you to notice what Hannah is doing in her prayer. She's, she's dedicating her son to the Lord. She doesn't even have a son yet. But, but she's already giving him back to the Lord. Now moms, with the children you do have, you can do that. One of the, one of the greatest lessons that, that we need to learn as parents is that we don't ultimately own our children. Yes, we are to raise them. We've been charged with that responsibility. And we're to instill the right values in them and, and, and pray for them, teach them, and, and be an example to them to follow the Lord. But ultimately, we can't determine what they, they do in life. Children are a gift from God and they belong to Him. We need to realize that, that God has a plan with that child. Sometimes parents want to forecast everything about their child's life and future. The helicopter parent doing everything. 
We can't do that. We've got to be willing to give our children back to, to God and say, God, this, this child, this son, this daughter is, is yours. They're yours. God, take this child and do what you want to do with my son. Do what you want to do with my daughter. May your will be done. And that's exactly what Hannah is doing here. Lord, this boy will be yours. He won't even be mine to keep. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him back to you. Moms, have you done that with your children? Have you committed them to God, everything about them in prayer? You see, if you've done that, then it is going to change the way you raise them. And how are you going to raise them? You're going to raise them that they are ultimately accountable themselves to God. Yes, they're accountable to you. But ultimately, they have a heavenly father they're accountable to. Now, I want you to notice that after committing this whole problem over to God in prayer, look at verse 18. Hannah was able to go in peace. She was able to eat. She was no longer burdened with this problem. It's now, she's put it in the hands of God. She's laid it at his feet. Now it's for God to work out. You know, I believe that Hannah had every confidence that God was going to hear her prayer and answer her prayer. We shouldn't be praying that our children would be rich and famous and have all the luxuries and comforts of life. Folks, we need to be praying that our children will be used for God's purposes. If they end up on a mission field somewhere and they have nothing that you have in your home, if they're in the center of God's will, folks, that's exactly where they need to be. I've told you before that I believe with all of my heart I'm a Christian today and a preacher of the gospel because of my maternal grandmother. She was a godly woman of prayer and devotion and of the word. She had six children. My mom's the second oldest. Five girls, one boy. And when my grandmother was pregnant with her second child, my mom, with that pregnancy, not the others, supposedly, as I've been told later, they didn't tell me this until after I went into the ministry, but when she was expecting my mom, that whole entire pregnancy, she bathed that pregnancy in prayer that God, this child will be a boy and you'll call him to preach the word. And my mom was born. And my grandmother thought God didn't answer my prayer. Because, I mean, that really was back in the day where women, you know, didn't preach or pastor or anything like that. So she said, God didn't, God didn't answer my prayer. Did God answer her prayer? Yeah. He just delayed a generation, right? And again, they didn't tell me that until after I'd made public that God had called me into the ministry. Amazing. We can be assured that when we pray for our children to be used for God's purposes, God hears those prayers. And we don't know how those prayers might be answered. But God hears and God answers. 
And remember, mom's a no is an answer or not yet is an answer. Or God's saying, I have another way that I'm going to answer that. That's an answer. Third thing I want you to see this morning, a woman experiencing God's grace and provision from verse 19 on. I want you to notice what happens. If you believe in a God who answers prayers and cares about our lives, it, it's no surprise what happens next. We see God's grace and His provision showing up. Hannah has a son. She names him Samuel, which means asked of the Lord. God honors her request. But I don't want you to just see God's provision. I want you to also see a mother's promise. She does two things. She raises this boy as though he's God's because he is. And she knows that He's not hers to keep. Folks, again, are, are we raising our children to learn and do the will of God? Are, are we showing by our own life that we are to live as servants of God? And then I want you to notice what happens next. Hannah gives Samuel back to the Lord. Now, Samuel is probably only three years of age. That's when they would wean their children. That seems like it must have been an impossible thing to do. But Hannah keeps her vow. She takes her boy to the temple and she leaves him there with Eli to raise. Now don't you think you're bringing your kids to me to raise? What she's doing would apply to us today, though, after we've done everything we can do to raise our children properly, we have to say, okay, God, now they're yours. And we have a peace in doing that. Years ago, I told you about a couple at my home church growing up. One of their sons in particular was one of my best friends at that time. They had three boys, and I mean they were all boys. They loved motorcycles and race cars and go-karts and trucks. and They were good boys. I mean, they didn't go out and get in trouble. They were just wide-open boys. She said one time, every day, she would live in panic and fear about what might end up happening to one of those boys. I mean, because they get into all kinds of, like I say, they were just rambunctious boys. And, and she said, Scott, one day I had to get to a point in my life that I just really relinquished them over to God. I said, God, these three boys are yours. If one of them, ha if something happens to one of them, that's your, your, they're yours. I pray for your blessings on them. I pray for your safety and provision and protection for them. But they're yours. And she said, I really had to come to that point of surrender. And she said, you know, when I did that, there was a, there was a peace and a freedom in my life with those boys that I'd never had before. Hannah offered her son to the Lord, and of course, we know the rest of the story. God moves in this young boy's heart, calls him. The nation sees God's hand is on him. He's going to be very, very, very special. But again, moms, where did it start? It started with a mother. Would you bow in prayer with me, please? Moms, this morning I want to ask you to commit your own life to being what it should be. 
Are you an example in your faith? Are you an example in your service? Are there things in your own life you need to tend to this morning and get right with God? Maybe there's a mother here that doesn't know Christ. You need Christ first and foremost. You need to begin a journey of following Christ. And then, out of that relationship to the Lord, if it's real and vital, it should, in and of itself, bear fruit, make some kind of impact. But again, you need to come to Christ. Moms, have you committed your children to the Lord? I know you have dreams and wishes for them. But what might God have planned for them? His ways are higher than our ways. Whatever plan God has for your children, it's a better plan than what you have. I want to ask you to begin praying this morning for your child's future. That God would get a hold of them and use them for His purposes. And trust that God's purposes are going to outlive you. God's purposes for that child will even outlive that child. Father, thank you for this story of a mother. A devoted mother. A praying mother. Lord, a mother who put her problem at your feet. And you answered it and gave her a son. And she kept her vow and relinquished him back to you. Lord, this is a new beginning in the life of Israel at the time. And what an encouragement to us of what you can do in and through our kids. God, thank you for our kids. But Lord, we do acknowledge today they're yours. They're yours. Watch over them. Work in them. Work a work that Jesus will receive all the honor, the glory, and the praise. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand, please?